0: wish i could riff like that hi dan guy adami here dan nathan in just a few minutes carter braxton worth of worth charting i'm all geeked up last day of november we're entering december that would be letter z zed who's zed uh zed's dead baby but that's we'll save that <laughs> for another show this is market call by the way our presenting sponsor today FactSet financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow I'm powered by the fact, Dan, that the New York Rangers have gotten off to an extraordinarily mediocre start, coming off a couple really terrible losses tonight in Ottawa. Big game for them, but unfortunately, I think Trouba's playing hurt, and we have trouble with between the pipes right now. I think Igor Shosturkin is in his head, but you don't want to talk about that, Dan. You want to talk about the
1: markets? You know, guy, I'm going to Canada this no, weekend you're not. For, for a short spell. I'm going to see the Arcade Fire play Love in their PK hometown Fire. in Montreal, yeah. and that's a team that's going to have the Rangers. They're going to have they're going to have the Rangers number this year. The, okay, uh, the, okay. Yeah, Mr. Well, I'm just saying um, yeah. that would be my second trip. In 2022, to Canada for a rock concert. How about that, guy?
0: Yeah. And I love PK Fire.
1: They're one of my favorite oh, bands.
0: Geez. I have all their stuff
1: on All right, mild. let's do this. Enjoy Jeez, that. We're going to be out Hard. today at 1 30, people, because, you know, guys, uh, market overlord, Fed Chair Powell, the honorable Fed Chair Powell, is going to be speaking before the Fed goes into their blackout period, guy. Um, but let's talk a little bit about um, our friend, Mike Wilson. He is the head equity strategist over there at Morgan Stanley. He was on Fast Money last night. And interestingly, I think it was the first week of October. Mike was on our podcast, On the Tape. You can find it Mm -hmm. in your favorite podcast store, people. It was a great conversation. He has been bearish and right right up until that first week in October. He remains bearish on the economy. He remains bearish on the outlook for S&P 500 earnings in 2023, but he made a tactical call. We've talked about it on Market Call. He thought the market would rally 15%. It did do that. Last night on the show, let's talk about that interview guy because he publishes his 2023 outlook and now he thinks, yeah, maybe there's some seasonality. Maybe they can run a little bit more, but he thinks we're going to retest the lows and possibly go a good bit lower in the coming months?
0: Yeah, it was October 14th. I think it was a Friday that that tactical bull call came out. I know it sort of caught Danny Moses off guard, but the market did, in fact, rally. And we had talked about it that Thursday and Friday and the subsequent Monday. We thought the setup was very similar. So I think we've all gotten that one right. Now, here we are, sort of a bit of a crossroads for you Clapton fans out there. And if you look at his note, and, you know, when he talked about the market sort of potentially levitating in the year end, he didn't sound all that effusive in that. Acknowledgement. I think he felt like it could happen. It's happened before. It clearly happened last year, but I don't think he was all that gung ho. But I think what it was pretty clear about was the first few months of next year, if not the first, you know, half of next year, is going to be challenging for a myriad <clears> of <throat> different reasons. And that bear case of thirty six hundred. And I asked him. I said, "You know what, Michael? That doesn't seem to be all that draconian." That's a word that you like to use, Dan, because it yeah, makes me it. sound smart. Oh, yeah. And he said, "Actually, it's not, but it's how you get there." And he actually pointed out. The 3,000 is not a pipe dream under the scenarios that he put forth. So a lot of the things that we've been thinking, I think he galvanized yesterday in that interview. And I think he galvanized in sort of the note that he's put out. So You know where I stand. I'm with Mike Wilson on this one.
1: Yeah, you made a really good point, though, Guy. I mean, you know, and this is what I like about Mike. I've known Mike for since the late 90s. He was a tech specialist over at Morgan Stanley. He spent his whole career there. He is just a really thoughtful guy. He talks to some of the smartest people that put big money to work in the entire world in the markets there. So for him to come out when sentiment was really low in in early or mid-October, the way you were feeling the same way and make that call on such a big bullhorn um, I think it was really important. Now, to your point, he's like, OK, fine. Maybe they can go up a little bit higher. into, you know. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on that could propel the market a little bit higher. But it does not change the fact that there's a very strong likelihood that the US economy and the global economy is going to be in a recession at some point. And the stock market right here, right now, does not discount that. Let's look at the S&P 500. When you think about this, you see the downtrend. We've been talking about it. You see the declining 200-day moving average. Um, we've got a little bit above 4,000. We didn't get to that kind of 4,100, which was the downtrend. But the steepness of that uptrend from mid-October, you know, that's the thing that you got to keep an eye on as the Fed Chair Powell speaks today, goes into this blackout period. We have the jobs data on Friday. Mm -hmm. Guy, you got to think that Powell knows what that jobs data is going to be here, right?
0: You know, it's funny. I am the ultimate conspiracy theorist. And you know, there's a laundry list yeah. of ones that I have. We won't get into on this market call. Cannot, but this is not This, this, cannot this is here. not one of them, though. You know, it's interesting. You know, I don't necessarily think they have a heads up. I think they can Why not? Wait, wait hold on others. a second. No, I,
1: you might be right. Well, hold I'm, on. Just... I, I'm not making it sound like this is not tinfoil hat stuff, man. This is like the data is compiled. It's primarily compiled. So economists, and they are them can make decisions right like and make forecasts and that sort of thing and there's no more important economist on the planet than jerome powell you know, all, so all why, why, why wouldn't he get a look at this data and why wouldn't it inform what he's got to say yeah. today no listen it, it makes
0: and again <laughs> that's why i find it so ironic like yeah, this I is one too. that you know it doesn't I don't know. You're probably right. And listen, so we'll hear what he has to say. The point that I made last night and I've been trying to make for a while now is all asset classes have given him, given them air cover to continue to be hawkish. There's no reason not to be. You know, if you can successfully talk things down without having to act and just do it by being hawkish, I mean, that serves a purpose as well. So to come out dovish, given the fact that the market has rallied some 15 percent off those October lows, given the fact that despite an inverted yield curve, the bond market has quieted down a bit. Commodities are under control. The dollar seems to be tame. Nothing seems to be out of the ordinary credit markets haven't collapsed. So why would you be anything but hawkish? Why wouldn't you maintain that same, you know, have your hand on that till and maintain the same course? It doesn't make sense to me. And I'm not trying to say it through my dogma. It just makes sense that they should continue given this backdrop. Now, listen, I'll say this. If the S&P was trading 3,200 right now and credit markets were sort of teetering, we'd be having a much different conversation,
1: but that's not the data set. Yeah, no. And I, and I agree with that. If you look at the low in the S and 500, it's just below 3,500. We know the pre pandemic high, um, in February, 2020 was thirty three ninety. We almost round tripped the thing. Mm-hmm. So if Michael, uh, Wilson is correct. And I think you and I both feel this way that, you know, we're going to have a retest of that pre pandemic high. Obviously that would be, um, just above the lows that we made, um, in October here. Um, but really I think yields are the main story here. We've been, you know, kind of bearish of yields. We've, kind of talked about the trades and how we're um, expressing that view. And if you look at the 10 year, <clears throat> again, you know, it kind of maybe found a little bit support at that breakout level from, you know, September or so mm-hmm. you see the uptrend that has been in place, um, you know, over the last call it year and a half or so here. So it's at an important level. And I think it's important to go back to when we had that data, the CPI data um, for the prior month that came out a few weeks ago, remember the the velocity of which st- Stocks went higher, yields went lower. And so I think that support level is really important there. Um, But, you know, Guy, I got to point you to this chart. This is a log chart. It's 40 years going back, okay, when you were back in the 50s. Yeah, and uh, it's the 10-year yield. And obviously, it was upper left, bottom right. The bottom fell out here. We're above that downtrend that's been in place. I really think there's a good chance, especially if you're right about Growth here in the U.S. The potential for a recession, um, and the likelihood that the Fed fund futures are going to start pricing in cuts at the back half of 2023. That we're going to have a check back to that downtrend line in yields. Um, I'm just curious thoughts on yields here because they're they're holding a little bit here.
0: Yeah, they're holding. Uh, you know, 10 year for whatever reason seems to have found a floor around three seven ish, three and three quarters. Let's just call it. Um, But they're holding that. That's the best thing I can say. I mean, if you look at this, this is a 40 year line, as you mentioned, that we finally broke through to the upside. But it makes sense that we do a check back. And in this case, given the deterioration of that line, upper left, lower right, that check back probably comes into form south of three percent. Now, I don't know what circumstances will get us there. But I can't believe it's particularly bullish. So I've said for a while. I thought three and a half percent. I know Carter adheres to that. You do as well. Anything less than that, I think we're looking at some pretty catastrophic things going on, not only in our economy but the global economy. And the problem with that is, and I believe this doesn't mean the two years going to come down in a commensurate way. I think the two years going to stay sticky here. And I've yeah. said for a while, and I know you know this. You know, I thought we'd get to seventy-five percent, seventy-five basis points inversion. We're there. And I also thought we could get the 1% inversion in the form of 3.5% in the 10 and 4.5% in the twos. And quite frankly, you know, that seems to be on a collision course as well. And I just don't, for the life of me, I can't paint a bullish scenario if that were to happen.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting. We have a chart guy going back forty years. Also, with the two with the two ten spread, we overlaid the S and P five hundred to it. And when you think this is kind of interesting to me, you know, go back to the early two thousands. We saw the two ten invert to the tune of I don't know fifty basis points. We had a brief inversion in two thousand and seven, and we both know that in both instances the S and P five hundred got cut in half. So then in two thousand and nineteen, we also had that brief inversion. We did have the stock market, the S and P, sold up thirty five. And here we go. We keep going lower. You know, the early 80s, we go, we were more inverted here. But you know, that's I'm just going to go back to this with the S&P down 17% mm-hmm. guy. Okay, 17%. It just doesn't really encapsulate everything that's no. gone on here. So to me, I just think that there's risk that even as the yield curve, let's say becomes less inverted, which it might, especially if the Fed pauses. And if they start to lower rates at some point in 2023, you're going to see the 10 continue to go lower, but you're going to see the twos go lower, right? So, because that's really most uh, you know affected by Fed funds. So to me, I just, again, I think you see this kind of spread collapsing at some point.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, well, I think you hope that happens. I'm, yeah. I, I think in general, but just for obviously the people watching this can see it for those listening in your favorite podcast or I'll point something out. Uh, Both times we had a significant inversion back in 2001 ish. It took a good six to nine months for the market then to feel the effects of that. That's when the market subsequently sold off. And the same thing happened sort of 06, 07 when we inverted, it took again sort of six to 12 months for the market to catch up. And here we are at the biggest inversion of 40 years. The market's shown no signs whatsoever, albeit a bit of a sell-off this past year to, to sort of having a commensurate move that we've seen historically. So unless something, again, unless I'm missing the boat here, and unless it's different this time, air quotes for you folks listening, which of course is complete
1: horse hockey, you know, this market has some catching up to do on the downside, Dan. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, real quickly, here's one that um, you've been uh, calling for a rally for months now. It's rallied fairly significantly. This is Netflix that had gone from oh, love $700, guy, a year ago down to what was it, $165 or something? I think, right? Or, or at $180 or so. And it's had this really nice rally, a series of higher uh, lows here. You see, it's kind of banging up against resistance. That's kind of that, you know, almost gap fill. You were calling for 300. You know, I think it's interesting. The stock's up three and a half percent today on news about our friend Stephen. Um, uh, asked me this morning. He's like, "Have you seen this show Wednesday on the Netflix?" And you've not seen it. It's something. It's a play on the Adams Family, which I know you're a Stop. huge fan of. Yeah, but it was the biggest opening of any show on Netflix ever, and the stock's up like this. So that's kind of interesting to me, just that investors would be buying the stock in a blah day here after its huge run because a, a TV show on, on Netflix yeah. had a well, big opening. I mean,
0: maybe yeah. I can't speak to Wednesday, although I used to say Wednesday is Sunday at Carvel. And I, I will tell you the Adams family. I'll still watch the Adams family on me TV uh, yeah. here in New Jersey because it just kills you yeah. don't really care, I know. Well, do you Gomez think we're going to higher?
1: We're filling in this gap on, on, on this. Okay, I know. Let's get, to, let's get to yeah. brass
0: tax here. So yeah. we'd said the market would fill in the gap up to 300. Then we said we'd see it back and fill to 250. Both those things happen. Now this is the next leg higher. And this next leg higher, I think, takes us to the mid 300s. And I'll say, Disney's loss, like all the problems at Disney – just reinforced the genius of Reed Hastings and the fact that Netflix has at least a decade-long lead against their closest rival, which at this point probably is Disney. So again, I think to a certain extent, what's happened with Disney has shown how great Netflix is. And I think the stock is trading on the back of it. Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever, for you Apollonia fans, I think Netflix goes higher.
1: Wednesday, Tuesday, Apollonia, very, very sad state of affairs back in the... I yeah, mean, well, was it or was it yeah, you know just forties? It was in uh it yeah. was in Sicily. You're sure you're was. half from Sicily. Um, real quickly, guy, I just want to hit two other stocks here, two software names, one um in the uh you know cybersecurity space and one um just a kind of pure play. Um SaaS name here. Look at CrowdStrike down uh what is it down about 13 or so? Uh actually down twenty percent. It's like twenty percent. Yeah. I mean, like literally falling out the back There's a two-year chart here. Um, again, I think you said it pretty aptly last night. I mean, this thing, even at 10 times sales down from 60 times at its highs two years ago is probably still a little bit expensive, especially when you see all the really core metrics decelerating here. And then on the flip side, you see workday and look at that downtrend. It's gotten above that a little bit, but it's having up a big update on, on a beat and a decent guide um, up 13% thoughts here on the space in general, because one dog, Going one way, one's going the other. And I just want to know uh, what you're thinking on this thing.
0: Yeah, nice job. I love the Goodfellas reference there. I said right. it last night. I'll say it again CrowdStrike is a wonderful company. Uh, it's just still too expensive. It was ridiculously expensive at its zenith, and it's still expensive here at its trough. And I think it probably needs to come into sort of seven and a half, eight times revenue, which probably means there's another 15 to 20% to the downside in this name. And we mentioned 95 last night being a level of support. That's probably where it comes in. That second, that guidance for the next quarter was atrocious. And then they tried to sort of uh, give you the 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 herky jerk or the whatever for the full yeah. year guidance and say, somehow, despite the fact that we're lowering guidance for this next quarter, we're going to make it up on the back end. Bullshit. Pardon me. It ain't going to happen. So I think what happened is people sold first ask questions later, they're going to have to prove themselves. In terms of workday, I think you would speak to this as well it's a more reasonable valuation and I think it makes a little more sense so similar I guess
1: but it couldn't be more dissimilar in terms of valuation all right last thing before we bring That's Carter be in because was I, I, me. I want I want him to kind of comment on this guy I'm legging into a position the USO it's an ETF that tracks um, oil I know that you think it probably holds here Carter's probably going to say the chart is a pair of twos I look at yeah, the USO um, I'm yeah. legging into a 70 60. Um, put spread it cost me about two dollars there, so I'm risking two to possibly make eight if the thing goes from seventy to sixty over the next, you know, two and a half weeks or so. Um, curious to your thoughts on that, and then let's get Carter's take. And he's Look, got a you whole know, heck of a lot of good stuff from worth charting to talk. To you've some. done great work with the with oil
0: energy. Uh, you know the stocks are at a crossroads here. We mentioned OIH potential for a double top. We talked about it yesterday. We've talked about it now for a while. XLE the same thing. Crude is clearly under pressure. It's found a bit of a bottom. I think some of this OPEC news potentially cutting uh production over the weekend is obviously helping the price, as is the potential for us to purchase back the strategic petroleum reserve that yep. we let loose. So all those things should be supportive. But you know, your point again, if we are in this global downturn, crude oil is not going to be immune to that. And I think that's exactly right. So well done by you. I like it when you sort of
1: leg into these trades. Well. This is, this is a press here a little bit, right? Because sentiment's really bad and the chart, you know, is probably like to your point, it's trying to put in a little bit of a bottom. Maybe it has a run to that 200 day moving average. And if it were to do that, my trades is zero, right? So I want to kind of actively manage this. And when I do long premium directional trades using options, um, I like to cut the premium, um, you know, use a mental stop of about 50% of the premium that I spent. All right, let's do it. Worth charters worth chartings carter braxton worth nothing's Man. just charts. thank you for being very patient no your emojis door. with hearts just charts back to you <laughs> all right carter we, we got a lot going on we got fed cheers Powell speaking in about 12 minutes here um we know where you are in the s&p 500 here our our listeners our viewers also know you think you fade them here a little bit talk to us about um Energy. Talk to us about crude in particular, looking at this USO instrument. Is it a press on my part? I just, I don't know. I have a bearish trade in the XLE on. Um, I still think that that gap between where the oil stocks are and where the commodity is, I think that closes. But now I kind of feel like that there's a really good chance that if the Fed chair power remains a bit hawkish here and some of the data doesn't go the way that some of the bulls want it, I think crude oil could close on the lows of the year.
2: Right. I mean, talk about, in many ways, the most dynamic part of the entire, not only equity complex, but r- risk assets in general. While it's been exciting for the dollar this year, it's been exciting for Bitcoin, uh, not as important, or certain tech stocks. Oil's wild ride, right? The surge in response to the Ukrainian uh, invasion, We get up to, you know, 140 a barrel on the Wall Street predicts 200. And of course, it ends up being the peak. Then we get down as low as what, 70, uh, high 60 just a few weeks ago. And then uh, you're now bouncing. It is a pair of twos, meaning, is there a discernible level to play off of? Is there a moving average to identify? Not really. But what I think is important is that energy shares, right, having been such big outperformers since June, July of 2020, are now faltering, right? And the XLE yeah. is the only aggregate the S&P 500 energy that was able to make a new high. The S&P 400 energy, the S&P 600, the mid cap and small cap, uh, never did, nor did the equal weight. My hunch is to be underweight,
1: Energy. all right Carter talk to us a little bit um again we walk in this morning and bank stocks were immediately under pressure uh, my friend Doug Cass hit me this morning um he hit me the other day while I was on fast money um, he has been bearish uh, in the stocks he is really good in these names he's covered them for decades I'm not gonna say how many decades and he's about as good as it gets but you know like you know JP Morgan had that move from 101. 101 in October, up to 137, where it was just trading a couple of days ago. Is down two percent, um, you know, in a straight line. You know, a half an hour into the day, it's come back a little bit. Some of the other money centers. What's going on in the banks? You had a note out um, on Worth Charting yesterday. You were looking at the BKX index. Walk us through that note because I think it's important, especially as we kind of hit some key technical levels in the broad market. And you're looking at areas of outperformance. You just mentioned energy stocks, but you got to think about banks over the last two months also.
2: Right. Banks and financials, meaning the move out of large safe quotes, uh, air quotes, safe tech growth names, the concomitant uh, money flow is into industrials and financials. But it's really time to fade those. Let's let's look at, here's the KBW Bank Index. It's 24 stocks. It's dominated, of course, by Wells, City, JP Morgan, uh, Bank America, but it has others like super regionals like PNC, U.S. Bank Corp, and Truist. But what we know is one of the oldest things you can do if you don't want to be in and out and tummy, is just stay with the trend. So look at the smoothing mechanism, the 150 moving average. And if we just followed that, when it turns down, it's the same as the actual trend lines go back and forth. And that's beautiful toggling there um, and put them all together. If you look at the, so the point at which the moving average inflects from declining to now rising or rising, declining is the point at which typically you have a change in trend. And as of now, all we have in the BKX is a rally to that downtrend line. We are not in the throes of a bearish to bullish reversal. A turn, I think we're just likely to head down again. Um, And there's some short-term charts that we can look at to try to Uh, zero in on that if you want. But I mean, this is the same sequence as the market. S&P makes a low October 13th. So does the BKX index. But the BKX is breaking. And this chart is one day back. This is from uh the note of uh, two days ago it's it's lower again today and i think here's the important thing one could say well so what so this bottomed october 13th so did the s&p mm-hmm. this just rallied substantially but look at the relative performance and i and i think that's important we have that um here so that rally, and this is a long-term chart. The top is the BKX. The bottom is relative to the actual S&P 500 financial sector. So banks relative to themselves, because of course they're a part of the sector, but also to MetLife and Prudential and Goldman and Morgan Stanley and Allstate and State Street and so forth and so on. And so the entire rally from October 13th, look at the bottom panel. It's just making new relative lows Mm -hmm. every single day.
0: And if you think about it, I mean, the backdrop on a fundamental basis is not particularly strong for these banks. I mean, people will quibble over the yield curve. What does it mean? But listen, the the reality is the environment is slowing down, which is not supportive of bank stocks, especially ones that have historically Pretty expensive, so I'm with I'm with Carter on this one. I mean, I think it's going to roll here. If you think the S and is going to roll like we do, I think almost by definition, Dan, the banks will as well.
1: Yeah, I no,
2: I, I a little fundamentals maybe just to take a second. Here's the funny thing: those 24 stocks that make up the BKX, right? They're valued at 1.5 trillion, and they generate 150 billion in net income, right? So, by contradistinction, that's the same net income that Apple and Microsoft generate. They generate about 160. So those 24 banks valued at 1.5 trillion generate about the same as Apple and Microsoft, and yet Apple and Microsoft are valued at 4.2 trillion. I mean, this is either a value play or it's a value trap. The problem with banks is they can lose money.
1: They can mm-hmm. lose a lot of it. So, so Carter, just while we're here on banks and their kind of rent, rate, rate sensitivity, Let's pull up Toll Brothers for a second here, because this is one where when you think about, you know, housing and what we know has started to happen and could continue because of the the, the just the, the swiftness of the increase in rates here and really what were weird supply demand dynamics during the, the pandemic or so. I mean, they got hit really hard like most of the banks did and many financials earlier this year. But I, I have to think that you think that you know, like look at this thing forty double bottom, June. October, we're kind of hanging in here. Are any of these home builders starting to kind of pique your interest?
2: If we were to look at a chart of the ITB or the XHB, the same action you see in toll is actually happening above the 150 moving average. Yeah. And so I think it's right to when, Everyone is looking one direction, look the other direction. So we might have ITB here. Check this out. ITB is in boy. Um, what we'll see is that that same action is starting to happen and look at it. It's above the 150 million average. So think about Chinese stocks, right? They're hated now. I mean, literally China's like the whole thing's a mess, but they're turning. Or think oh, about yeah. housing stocks. Oh my God, they'll never do well now. Mortgage rates are too high. It's probably time to be contrarian and Small logs, ITV, XHB. By the hey, way, guy, Ian, just, uh, just you know, we
1: were we were talking about these names last night. I think on Fast Money, and a friend of mine who is a mortgage. Um, Broker hit me and just said jumbos are coming down really hard, right? They topped out, they went up so quickly and they topped out, you know, somewhere above seven and a half percent. And they're coming down really hard. Just, just, just thoughts on that guy. When you look at a, a group like this and you look at just kind of the abnormality of the, you know, kind of the rate sensitivity. I mean, does this starting to pique your interest, even yeah. if it's a little bit early? And and
0: we we had Bill on months ago talking about, listen, this is the sort of the simplistic view. But if you think rates are going lower, given, again, the fundamentals of the housing industry, which is still a supply problem without question. I mean, you could say what you want about demand. They still have a supply issue. So if rates come down, these stocks are going to go up. I think it's as simple as that. I mentioned it last night on Fast Money. People say, well, that's really simplistic. It is. But I also happen to think it's right.
1: So we'll see. All right, one one last group here Carter. You had a note out also on industrials here and again this is a group that is starting to show some decent relative strength, but maybe it's just money flows, right? I mean like what, what what what's your take here because we could pick out any individual names and maybe they're starting to react a little bit to some fundamental news that's diverging from the group. Thoughts here?
2: Well, similar, to JP Morgan moving up thirty percent. You have huge thirty and fifty percent moves in things like Honeywell. Um, the XLI itself, you see the table here, up twenty two point six from its October low versus the S and P. But remember, they're names that haven't participated, and so you've got things like CAT up forty and fifty, and Deer, uh, Eversol, Ran. It just looks all a little too far too fast. And so the same thinking is financials. Big ricochet, but uh, not inspiring. Now look at this. This is I've had some fun with the lines. One could say you just draw the lines the way you want to see them. Well, sure, it's a beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Mm. It's subjective, but look how symmetrical it all is. And that's the point. It's not valuation. How does one explain intellectually a sell-off like that, an entire sector recovery like that? Look where it's stopping. We have other iterations if you want to go forward and toggle to the next. But basically. You know, we get back to the former high, we're contending with it. And guess what? I think we're faltering. You put in some arrows. I'm a seller.
0: It reminds me of that uh, movie with Tom Hanks. I uh, remember when they're in Italy, the Da Vinci code, when they go and they look at the <laughs> last supper and he makes a, uh, the V sign with his hand, Dan, for you playing at home. Nobody had that on their fricking bingo. Tough shit,
1: people. Sorry, Dan. All right, guy. Let me ask you really quickly here because again, you know, from a technical standpoint, I mean, that looks about as good as anything on the board to take a shot on the short side here. Is there anything like aside from, you know, we talked about deer and I know that you said the deer is very company specific. They're doing, they're executing much better and, and where they're exposed than a cat. Are there any like individual names or would you just stick to the XLI? Cause I got to tell you, he just convinced me to take a look at that and see what like a nice little tasty. You know, I'm going to tell you,
0: you know, like. we talked about John Deere a couple of weeks ago and I said, listen, be careful here. We, we had actually talked about it on the long side and we said, Be aware, John Deere topped out in April around 440 or so, and then we just had earnings. We'll where the stock traded up to. You have a pretty, you know, Carter just illustrated this with that chart, but if you want to get Deere specific, you have a pretty decent short-term double top. So I think if you're looking for trading opportunities where the risk reward is extraordinarily well defined for you on the downside, I'd take a shot being short Deere, and I can't speak intelligently about option volatility, but this one... You know, we had that huge run up. It stopped exactly where it should. Logic suggests it's going to do a back and fill, Dan. All
1: right, fair enough. Nothing slick, just no, charts. Carter Braxton, worth no, of no worth Dan. charting. do it, we, do it we, correct. We do it. <laughs> what's
2: that one, Carter? Yeah, uh,
0: Guy, what's the one? No moon. What is it? No emojis with hearts, just, just charts. charts. I mean, All that's, right, that All well, pals coming that out here, Guy. It's just so good. That's it because that genius JP is about to talk, and we don't want to miss that. Uh, Five o'clock, CNBC's Fast Money. We may be usurped by that SPF 40 character with Andrew Ross Sorkin. That should be interesting. I actually would watch that if it were to come on. But that's it for Market Call. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet Dan, Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. I'm powered by just life in general, a rainy Wednesday, but we're in December tomorrow. I'm also powered by the sexiness of Carter Worth, And I'm also powered by your Johnny Cash man in black shirt that you're wearing. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. EY from SoFi.